Welcome back to the podcast. This episode, we give you a little bit of an update of the current second round playoff series. Bucks are now even up with the Brooklyn Nets, two to two, as Kyrie's injury in Game Four has a little bit of cause for concern with the Brooklyn Nets. Also, Jazz and Clippers is now a two-one series. We'll go over how that got to be. Also, Sixers also now up two-one on the Atlanta Hawks. Talk about that. Suns finish off the Nuggets. Get into that in a little bit. Also, I'm gonna be talking a little bit about the little the comments Russell Wilson made about his trade rumors and how he shut that down completely. Also, an expansion to the college football playoff may be in order. We'll see how that goes and why it would be great for the college football world. Also, I'm gonna give my Predictions for the Stanley Cup semis and see who's going to win the cup. And also, despite my very lack of knowledge of soccer, I'm going to give my picks for the Euros and see who's going to win the Euros tournament. Here we go. All right, let's talk about Milwaukee and Brooklyn real quick. As you all know, last night the Milwaukee Bucks won you have the series at 2-2. Two to two. And now Kyrie is going to be down with an injury for a while. But before I talk about Kyrie's injury and what the, what's going to be looking like for Game 5 in Brooklyn, I'm going to walk you back through Game 3 through 4 to kind of give a little bit of recap of where we right now, give my thoughts on how we got there. So, obviously in Game 3, it was a very low-scoring affair. Neither team got over 90 points in that game. And Milwaukee won a very sloppy game, 86-83. It was a very chippy affair. P.J. Tucker and Kevin Durant got into it a little bit. And also led to a security guard randomly running onto the court to defend Durant. In that game, Durant had 30 points, 11 rebounds. Kyrie had 22 points. And Bruce Brown had 16. On the other side... Giannis had 33-14, while Chris Middleton had a very great game. He put up 35-15. So pretty much in that game, Giannis and Chris Middleton put up 68 of Milwaukee's 86 points. So in game three, it was definitely just one of those games where low-scoring affair, defense was key, and unless you are a star... You were probably you weren't gonna get much when it comes to the scoring. So game three, I believe that net the Nets had this one. Should this is the one that the Nets needed in a very bad way to put up 3-0. But Milwaukee, they get everything they had. It was a scrappy game, and I believe Milwaukee. Is a better te- is a team that's better built for one of those scrappy type of games compared to Brooklyn. Now on to Game Four. Now this with the series now tied two two after a dominating performance by Milwaukee in Game Four. Obviously in this in this game Kyrie got injured with that ankle injury. Now it's being reported that he that Kyrie will not be ready for Game Five, so he will be out. And it'll be doubtful that James Harden will be able to play in Game 5. So in Game 5, 
Durant's more likely going to be by himself. That's not going to be great news for Brooklyn in the long run. But let's talk about Game 4 real quick. In Game 4, Durant had an alright game. Hit 28 points and 13 rebounds. Not the best shooting night for Kevin Durant. As Brooklyn played pretty decent defense on him. Led by P.J. Tucker, who held Durant, I believe, it was like 2 for 9. Something like that. It was like 2 for 9. On when he's guarding Durant. So, pretty good defense from Tucker. He's playing, he played physical defense that entire game. And for someone like Durant, that's not exactly a good sign if you're, someone's playing physical defense on him. But, he was still able to get his buckets. He chipped in with 13 rebounds as well, so he did his, his thing. It was just a really weird night for the Brooklyn Nets. Offensively, I don't think anyone else could really get going. Kyrie had 11 points before leaving with that injury. I don't know what's with Blake Griffin. I don't know why they didn't play him much in the second half of that game. But is he injured? Is he uh, is it a rotational thing that Steve Nash is trying to change mid-game? I don't know. But going into game five, something needs to change for – Brooklyn, especially now that you're probably not going to have Kyrie and you're probably not going to have James Harden. And you know, without those two, the Bucks' defense can use their best defenders primarily on Kevin Durant. If there's no pressure to guard anyone else on that team, I mean, if you look at that Nets team, just Kevin Durant, who do you think the next best player on that team would be? Probably Joe Harris. Probably. You could argue Blake Griffin if he actually plays like he did in game one and two in this series. But without Kyrie, without James Harden, the Bucks defense can actually clamp down on or try to clamp down against Kevin Durant. Put the primary defenders on Durant. Try to get the ball out of Put the focus on trying to get the ball out of Durant's hands to force the guys like Joe Harris, Shamit, Griffin, those type of guys to get get decent shots off and make them beat the beat Milwaukee Bucks. Do I see it happening in Game 5? I don't think so. I think the Bucks can go into Brooklyn and beat a decimated Nets team in Brooklyn, the way they're playing right now. If Giannis keeps putting up games... Scoring numbers like this, 34 points and 12 rebounds, I think the Nets will be in trouble. Middleton had another solid game with 19 points. I think that will be just fine. And I expect Drew Holiday to have a good scoring performance at least once in this series. He's going to be due for one. So, be ready for that. But for the most part, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in Game 5. And, yeah. Game 5. It's going to be a fun one to watch. It's going to be interesting to see what Kevin Durant can do by himself. Because I don't think we've seen him ever by himself in a big team situation like this before. So it's going to be interesting to see how he plays. Alright, on to Utah versus the Clippers. So, obviously, we saw the Clippers go, go home. And take game three from the Utah Jazz 
in a dominating performance by the Clippers. But, like I did with the Bucks and Nets, I'm going to go through and give my thoughts about the previous two games in this series, starting with Game 2. So, in Game 2, Utah was able to take care of business in a tightly contested game and found themselves taking a 2-0 lead. So, at that point, the Clippers would have found themselves in a similar situation, and obviously, now in Game 3, they took the dub in dominant fashion to find themselves now down 2-1. to one. Kind of a little bit of deja vu, am I right? So, in Game 2, one of the biggest surprises to me was how close it was, because I thought Utah, with all the momentum, was actually going to run away with this game, and that's just my opinion, but... No, the Clippers actually made it a close game. Had the lead going a little bit in the fourth quarter. And then at the end of the day, the Jazz just was ended up playing, being the better team that night. One of the biggest surprises that night was Reggie Jackson. He had 29 points in that game. He has been absolutely fantastic for the Los Angeles Clippers so far this postseason. Every time it seems like they need a shot, Reggie Jackson's been able to knock it down for him. He's been doing that the entire postseason. And it's cut and it's forced Ty Lu to shake up the rotation a little bit. Because obviously, with the point guards you have with Beverly, Jackson, and Rondo, you want Rondo in for some experience. And then obviously Greg Jackson, the way that he's playing right now, you can't actually keep him on the bench. So at least that Pat Bev. Pat Bev isn't getting a lot of playing time in this postseason, but when he does, Pat Bell is just that guy who's just really annoying, yada, yada, yada. But Reggie Jackson has been phenomenal so far in this postseason. And in, the, and in game two, a little bit of the same, 29 points for him. Paul George, 27 points, 10 rebounds. Despite those stats, not exactly another Paul George type game, but when he, he, hit, he hit his shots, but, and he hit his shots. That's all I'll say about that. And then Kawhi had a... All right game for Kawhi. He had 21 points in this game. But, I mean, Kawhi was due for a a slow game at some point in this series and in this postseason. On the other hand, for the Jazz in game two, Donovan Mitchell was outstanding again. He had 37. Jordan Clarkson came out the bench and gave him 24. Joe Ingles had a decent night. He had 19. Gobert had 13 points and 20 rebounds in this game. So, yeah, <laughs> the Jazz have been playing great. I think the biggest defense, I mean, not biggest defense, but the biggest reason the Clippers didn't pull this one away is the defense late in the game. I remember one play specifically where Joe Ingles there just walking up the court and just walked into a wide over three. I don't know what the defense was doing in that one, but, yeah, in game, th- in game two, the defense was not that great. And I'll say, and in Game Three, it was the complete opposite, as the Los Angeles Clippers dominated at home in LA. They had like it was the score like one thirty to one oh nine, I believe. It was one thirty two to one oh six. That's what the score was. But in this game, the defense for the Clippers was a whole lot better. It looked like it was going to be what kind of saw it coming from the Clippers. Eventually, it was going to be a game where they just took over, hit their shots, 
being one of the better three-point shooting teams in the league. They started hitting their shots. Defense was a lot better on Donovan Mitchell, despite him dropping 30 points. Gobert was out-rebounded down low, despite his 10 rebounds. Kawhi Leonard had 34 points, 12 rebounds, so he bounced back from his mediocre game two. Paul George, he finally showed up in a playoff game. He had 31, and then Reggie Jackson hit a 17-point game in this in this game three. The biggest storyline for the Jazz, though, that Donovan Mitchell left the game a little bit early because he tweaked his right ankle again, the same ankle he injured earlier in the season. However, reports are indicating that he's going to be able to play in the next game, so that's something to worry about. It's going to be interesting how he bounces back from that kind of game. Overall, going into game four, this is going to be the biggest game of the series for the Clippers because if the Clippers win this game tonight, obviously it's going to be kind of the same deal as the nets Bucks series, just not as injury-riddled. If the Clippers can tie this series at two, Going back to Utah, all the pressure goes back on the on the Utah team to try to go back home, try to win a game five, and obviously take the series lead. You go into that game five with the 2-2 series lead, series tied, I mean. You don't you have nothing to lose. You just go you have to go in there. All the pressure's on them. You do your thing. We'll see what happens in a game five, but first comes game four. Which is going to be played tonight at 9 o'clock. So that's going to be interesting to see how that game pans out. Big game for both teams. And yeah, we'll see how that goes. On to Hawks versus Philly. So, Philly, on the road in Atlanta, took care of business on the road to defeat the Hawks. By a final score of 127 to 111. In a very dominant performance defensively in the second half. Where they outscored the Hawks 34 to 19 in the third quarter. And that was kind of the big difference in this game. As the Hawks were able to. Then, despite a strong fourth quarter from the Atlanta Hawks, it just wasn't enough after a very strong performance from Philly. So, for Philadelphia. Joel Embiid playing on a torn meniscus. I can't stress that enough that he's doing this on a torn meniscus. I'm not even a Philly fan. I don't like the Sixers. I don't claim to like the Sixers, but Joel Embiid is is doing this all on a torn meniscus. That's ridiculous. He had 27 points, 9 rebounds, 8 assists. Another strong performance from him. Tobias Harris, another solid game from him as well. 22 Points, eight rebounds. Obviously, Ben Simmons in this game played pretty well as well. He had 18 points, seven rebounds. And then the other guys chipping in, like Cork Moss at 14, Seth Curry at 12, Dwight Howard at 12 off the bench. And the Sixers are starting to look like that uh, the one seed in the East. They're definitely showing why they're the number one seed in the East. They're playing great basketball right now on the defensive side of the court. And I don't think the Hawks team is going to be able to keep up at this rate. Despite a very solid performance from Trey Young, he had 28 points, 8 assists in this game, but it wasn't enough. 
John Collins chipped in 23 and 7. That was enough. This team was just a little too young, in my opinion. The Hawks are going to be a good team for a long time. However, I do not see Atlanta winning the series. It's a big game four for them. The Hawks need this one bad. If the Hawks stole down 3-1 to Philadelphia, you might as well say, pack your bags. This series will not be coming back to Atlanta if Atlanta loses tonight at home. Because if they lose tonight at home, you can pretty much wrap this series up. This series will be over if Philadelphia wins this game tonight. All right. It is all over for the Denver Nuggets. Last night, the Phoenix Suns took care of his business and swept the Denver Nuggets and the MVP, Nikola Jokic. Before I get into what happened in Game 4, let's take a look back at Game 3. In Game 3, the Suns once again used a strong third quarter to take command in that game. And ended up sitting the deal in Game 3, despite a triple-double from the MVP, Nikola Jokic, who had 32 points, 20 rebounds, and 10 assists. Also, Morris had 21 points in that game. Michael Porter Jr. had 15 points in that game. He could have played a little better. And Will Barton had 14 points and 7 rebounds in his return from injury. But despite that, in the end... Phoenix was the better team. Booker had 28 points and 6 rebounds. Chris Paul had a fantastic game. He's been having Those two have been having a fantastic series so far. Paul dropped 27, 6 rebounds, 8 assists in that game. DeAndre Ayton had 10 points, 15 rebounds with a double-double. And then Crowder chipped in 14. So, going into game 4 now, it was a very... Tough competitor game, as I expected it to be. Obviously, the Nuggets were playing for their playoff life. But then it happened. Jokic committed a foul. I was seeing the guess a little too rough. Not deemed a basketball play. It was a little soft. It was a really soft call, in my opinion. It was a flagrant foul, but I don't think it deserved a flagrant two penalty. Flagrant one, fine, but a flagrant two to given to the MVP with the game with the season on the line for Denver, that was a little uncalled for. It wasn't a flagrant foul, yes. Did it deserve a flagrant two? Probably not. Should they have called it a flagrant two? Probably not. But at the end of the day, that's what the call was, and that's how it was gonna how it was gonna be. Before his ejection, Jokic had 22 points, 11 rebounds. Solid performance from him before the ejection. Will Barton, who did not give up in this game, he had 25 points. And Michael Porter Jr., he dropped 20 points. But at the end of the day, it wasn't enough. After Jokic's, after Jokic got ejected, I just didn't see any way possible for the Denver Nuggets to... Go into this game and win. There was no there was no chance in the world. Especially when you have Chris Paul, who I mentioned earlier, has been playing fantastic in this series. 
dropped 37 points and had seven assists in this game. And on the other hand, you have Devin Booker, who has 34 points with 11 rebounds. I mean, this is a spot. With all the duos left in the NBA playoffs, obviously you got Embiid Simmons, you got Kawhi and Paul George, you got Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. You got those kind of duos. And I guess you could throw in Trey Young and I guess John Collins in there. You could arguably say that Chris Paul and Devin Booker are the best duo left in these NBA playoffs. They're consistently making plays for this team. They're consistently getting decent shots up for this team. And if if both of them are putting up numbers like this on a regular basis, there are not many teams in the NBA late in the playoffs left that could stop a team like Phoenix. And it's now starting to answer sort of the question whether the Suns should be considered the favorites for the NBA championship. For me, I didn't believe that they could even get this far. Now that they're in the Western Conference Finals, and they're going to get plenty of rest with the Jazz and the Clippers going to go at it for a while, I believe. I think the Suns could be considered the favorite in the Western Conference now. I honestly believe that now. Now, could they be considered championship favorites? I mean, you still got Brooklyn, Milwaukee in the East, Philly, Philadelphia playing a lot better than I thought with an injured Embiid. And obviously, you got the Clippers and the Jazz. I think they could win it. They could win it. If you're getting production like this from your two stars, Chris Paul and Devin Booker, and everybody else is chipped in like they have throughout the entire playoffs. Crowder gives you his 15. You got Aiden giving you double-doubles. Cameron Payne playing well. Mikel Bridges has been playing well this entire postseason. If this team continues to play like they have, they could be considered the favorites to win this whole thing. Now, back to Denver. Denver really just didn't look the same after the Jamal Murray injury, despite moving up in the standings, they kind of got... The offensive rhythm just seemed a little weird without Jamal Murray. And it kind of showed, for the most part. I mean, until these last few games where Will Barton came back and Michael Porter had a good game here and there, Not there wasn't really much help on the offensive end for Jokic. Aaron Gordon did absolutely nothing in this series. Nothing notable as of late. Could this series would have been a little different? Be a little different if Jamal Murray was healthy. Absolutely, I don't think the Nuggets get swept with Jamal Murray. Do you still think the Suns would have won this series? Probably, but they definitely would not have gotten swept, and they definitely would have lost the way they had. But yeah. Congratulations to the Phoenix Suns going to the Western Conference Finals to take on either the Jazz or the Clippers. And they're going to have a lot of rest. Alright, on to some college football news. There is a report that a proposal was made by the NCAA College Football Playoff Committee, or whoever's in charge of the college football playoff seating stuff, that 
they they proposed to expand the playoffs from what they are now with four teams to 12 teams. And I'm all on board for it because I'm going to be honest, the four-team playoff has kind of been a little stale, especially for the most part. We've had the same teams fighting for a national championship every year. I mean, every year it seems to be Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma was in there all the time. It feels like you throw – and then there's just one other team that's just there. Ohio State's, the LSU's who won the national championship that one year. And then you got the Georgia who gets in there one year, the Washington that gets in there one year, the Oregon that's in there, whatever. For me, a 12-team playoff could work, and here's why. Normal, the way that the college football playoff is set up right now is just a rotation between all of the major New York's, New York, New Year six bowls. With that being said, with 12 teams playing, Obviously, how it work? Obviously, four teams will get a first round bye, and you have a bowl there. And you got also you got the two, two of those bowl games right there. That's gonna be the semifinals, and then you got four other games for the New York Six Bowls that can be played for first round for college football playoff games. They still get the revenue. They still get the exposure. Obviously, the sponsors get their thing, and it kind of mean. And those games kind of mean more with this proposal. I mean, you've seen in the past couple of years how there's been a trend where big time college football players who have a chance to make it to the NFL just don't play these college, these college bowl games because, let's face it, if you're not playing for a national championships, these bowls kind of don't mean nothing. They don't mean anything. They mean a lot to the schools that get the money from it and a recruiting boost, but that's really it. The schools get all the benefits from the bowl games, not the players. If you're not playing for a national championship, what's the what's really the point of these bowl games? So with there being 12 playoff teams, all the New York Six Bulls actually mean something again other than just being – a money grab for these schools. And like I said, you still get the revenue. You still get the profits. You get players back in the game. You don't have to worry about any opt-outs. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. It also gives other teams chances to try to win national championships. I mean, you look at the 12, you get the, you could possibly get a group of five play team in the playoff. Like if you could have a 12 team playoff last year, you would have seen, Possibly a Cincinnati play in the playoff game, and they had probably the best bowl game against Georgia last year in the Peach Bowl. That was a fun game to watch. Probably the only noteworthy New York Six matchup last year. Obviously, you probably maybe a Coastal Carolina who had a good season gets in there. And obviously, in the past, you would have got like a UCF in there when when they went undefeated. That would have been fun to see them play for a national title. Actually, you know claim a legitimate national title or try to anyway. So that would be fun to watch. And it gives more conferences chances to try to get in there. Obviously, the Pac-12 has been in a, doubt, in a drought for a while. If they have a team that has like maybe one or two losses, maybe they get a chance. 
Obviously, the Big Ten has some pretty good schools. Maybe a two-loss other Big Ten team gets in there. Maybe a another Big 12 team can get in there as well. Like I think an Iowa State could have gone into could have gotten into that playoff last year. They took care of business against Oklahoma. So many possibilities with the 12 team playoff. So many possibilities. And if college football really wants to expand the game, because and try not to become in this little stagnant, stale thing they're in right now, where it's literally four team, the same four teams. I feel like trying to vie for championships, the Alabamas, the Ohio States, the Clemsons, the Oklahomas of the world. I don't know about you, but I know a lot of people, including myself, are kind of getting bored of watching Alabama-Clemson. At least make them earn it a little bit. Instead of winning one game, make them win two or three to win a national championship. And, yeah, I would enjoy it. I would love to see, like, a Notre Dame versus Iowa State in the Fiesta Bowl for the right to go play in Alabama in the in the Cotton Bowl in the second round in the second round of the playoff, or a Oregon taking on a Cincinnati to get for the right to move on to play Clemson, something like that. I would love it. I think a lot of I think the fans would love it too. So hopefully this proposal is seriously considered if it actually was proposed because I think it would be great for college football. The Stanley Cup semis are underway now. I don't think in my time of this podcast I rarely talked about hockey, if at all. But now I'm going to talk a little hockey. Last night the – New York Islanders took game one of the series against Tampa Bay. And now they're leading 1-0 in that series. And the Montreal Canadiens, who have been playing surprisingly well, behind goaltending of Carey Price, they're now playing in their semifinal matchup against the Vegas Golden Knights, who upset my pick for the Cup, Colorado, in the second round. I'm just going to give you a brief prediction on who I think is going to win these semifinals and move on to the Stanley Cup and who I think is going to eventually win the Stanley Cup. All right, so obviously in the Islanders versus Lightning series, Islanders already have won nothing. So there's that. I had Tampa Bay win this series in five. So... If Tampa wins the next four, I think they should be able to be able to do it. I think Tampa is the more talented team, in my opinion, led by Kucherov and have Valzi, Andre Valzevsky in goal. I think they should be fine. I think they'll be able to win this series in five and move on to the Stanley Cup final. As for Montreal and Vegas, it's going to be a very interesting goalie battle because you have, obviously you got Price in goal for Montreal, and he's been playing very well so far in these playoffs. And then for Vegas, you have Fleury, who is also very good in goal. So it's going to be interesting to see how those two match up. 
it's gonna be just one. It's gonna be one of those series where, whatever, whichever goalie blinks less, will end up getting the win in this series. But in the end, I do think Vegas is the more talented team, and Ve- and Vegas is probably gonna win this series in five. Now, for my Stanley Cup final matchup, I have Tampa Bay versus Vegas. Like I said, this is going to be another interesting goalie matchup. Also, you have on you got Flurry for Vegas and you got Andre or Andre, I don't know how to pronounce his name. I'm not really good at four names. I'll I'll get to it though. I will learn. <laughs> I'll try to pronounce these four names one day. But yeah, Andre versus Flurry. It's gonna be an interesting matchup. I believe these teams. I believe these two teams match up very well against each other. I think it's gonna be a longer series. It's a very long series. I do have Tampa winning this series in six, though. I mean, Tampa has been a very talented team all year long. I do think they should be the favorites. They were the favorites to win the cup. I believe they will win the cup, and I think Tampa will go back to back and win the Stanley Cup again. So yeah, that's my prediction for the Stanley Cup. Uh, and what I've learned from trying to make these predictions, I need to work on more names, and that's pretty much it for me. So yeah, I do have Tampa win the whole thing in six. Russell Wilson talked to the media a couple days ago, as he should have wrote TAs back on Thursday. On Thursday. And the trade rumors that were surrounding Russell Wilson during the offseason were finally addressed by the QB himself. Here's what he had to say. Obviously, I love Seattle. I love playing here. That's what he said. He's had. A, he said he had a great. He's having a great career here so far. He said he wanted. Oh, he's always wanted to play here for his whole career for obvious reasons. And they're definitely said there was unfortunate frustrations at the end of the season. I don't blame him. Obviously, he wants to win it all, like Keith mentioned. Everybody on the team. He says everybody on the team thinks he does wants to win. And some things were blown out. He says things for some things were blown out of proportion. I'm just glad Russell, they finally got this cleared up. Russell also mentioned that nobody, nobody in his camp, including himself, is. There was no trade request whatsoever. Obviously, there was a list of the four teams he had in the offseason that he would be okay with being traded to. If there, anything ever happened, but at the end of the ga- at the end of the day, there was nothing. Happening, trade rumors were nothing but a bunch of nonsense. Kind of like how a lot of people in the Seahawks fandom, including myself, kind of figured it was going to happen. And now, there's also been a report that Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll have patched the relationship up a little bit. That's great. Now Russell Wilson spending time with the new offensive coordinator, Shane Waldron. I'm really excited to see how that offense works out between him and Shane Waldron. It also said that John Snyder would never 
actively negotiated with anybody about Russell Wilson, so that's great to see. Obviously, I think Russell Wilson is a little happier with some of the moves Seattle was able to make. Obviously, getting Gabe Jackson from Vegas. Big offensive pickup for them. It gives them a little bit of a boost in the offensive line a little bit at the guard spots. And now you're looking at a line of Dwayne Brown, who's been probably the best offensive line we've had in Seattle in a while. You're probably going to see Ethan Posich back at center. I believe the rookie last year, Lewis, is going to move him from right guard to left guard. So it's going to be interesting how he goes. Obviously, you got James G- Gabe Jackson who's going to go into that right guard spot and probably Brandon Shell at the right tackle spot. So the line definitely has a chance to improve from last year. I don't believe Russell Wilson will be as hit as badly as he was in years past. There's also been a report that Russell Wilson has talked about renegotiation in his contract to open up some catch space, which is a great sign for Seattle fans that this can happen because now Seattle can get more cap to get more weapons, more defensive players, and so forth to help this team get to back to a Super Bowl contending team, which is probably one of Russell Wilson's biggest goals for this football team. But good news for good news for Seattle Seahawks fans everywhere. There was no trade rumors. For now, Russell Wilson says he wants to stay in Seattle, and that's also great news. And hopefully, those stay true. Because without Russell, this team is a little bit of a mess. All right. For this next segment, I'm going to go a little bit out of my comfort zone when it comes to sports. When it comes to soccer or football, depending on where you live in the world, this sport isn't exactly one of my specialties when it comes to sports. But I love the big tournaments in soccer. I've grown starting to grow to love the biggest tournaments in soccer. I love the World Cup. I love Olympic play. I've just started watching the Euros last last year. That so that was a fun event to watch last year. Well, not last year, but the last Euros tournament they had. I don't think they had one last year with the pandemic. But I started like some of these bigger tournaments they have for soccer slash football, depending on where you live in the world. Like I said earlier, so I thought, why not make your predictions for the Euros? Now, if you're a soccer fan, a diehard soccer fan, or a diehard football fan, whatever you want to call it, you might call me crazy with my picks. Maybe you'll call me casual. I really don't care. But I have my picks, who's going to come out of group play, and who's going to make it to the end of the tournament. I, I have no particular order for these teams coming out of the group stage, except for the third-place teams, which I'll get into that in a little bit. So... Teams getting out of Group A in the term in these tournaments, the first, the best two teams move on to the the knockout round. I got Italy and Wales getting out of Group A, Belgium and Denmark out of Group B. Group C, I got Netherlands and Austria. Group D, I had England, obviously getting out of there, and I had Croatia, but I'm starting to regret that pick because. 
I watched England and Croatia, and Croatia just had a hard time getting anything going on the offensive side of soccer, of their offensive side. Group E at Sweden and Spain. In Group F, I obviously have France and Germany. Those two are definitely the two favorites to probably win the Euros this year, in my opinion. And the four third-place teams I have coming out of there are Portugal, Scotland, Poland, and Finland. Now, I did my best to research how these matches would look in the knockout rounds. So I have Belgium taking on Poland, Italy taking on Austria, France taking on Scotland, Croatia taking on Sweden, Spain versus Finland, England versus Portugal, the Netherlands taking on Germany, and Denmark taking on Wales. So, Belgium versus Poland, not wasting any time. I got Belgium winning that matchup. Italy versus Austria, again, I've got Italy winning that one. France versus Scotland, France is winning that one. Croatia versus Sweden, I got Sweden moving on. Spain versus Finland, I've got the Spanish moving on in that one. England versus Portugal. This one was rough for me to decide because I like England. I like Henry Kane. But I'm going Screw it. I'm going to go with England. I'm going to go with England to get past Portugal. And then I got the Netherlands taking on Germany. I got the Germans beating them. And then I got Denmark versus Wales. And I got Wales beating Denmark. So in the next round, I've got Belgium versus Italy. I got the Belgians winning that one. France versus Sweden. I think the French win that one. I've got England against Spain. I've got the Spanish winning that one. And they got Germany versus Wales. And I think Germany obviously going to win that one. Belgium versus France in the semis. I've got France beating Belgium. And then I got Germany beating the Spanish. And in the final, I've got France versus Germany. And when the dust settles, then the 2021 Euros champion will be the French. I have the French winning the 2021 Euros. So, those are my predictions for the Euros tournament. I'd like to hear what y'all think, but I don't get any feedback from y'all. Hit me up on Twitter at AnthonyUT12 if you think my Euros prediction is right on the money or I just went crazy on some teams or do I just sound like a complete casual. Y'all let me know. I'd love to get your feedback on this. I'm definitely going to start watching a little more soccer so I know a little bit more about the players. Because as of right now, I could probably name about 10 soccer players in Europe. So, that's my pick for the Euros. Should be an interesting tournament. And that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Next episode, 
Uh, this is going to be a little bit the same deal. Going to get more NBA recaps for the playoffs. Talk a little bit more about how things are going in the Stanley Cup semis. Give you my MLB team of the week. Because that will be coming back next week. And also, maybe some more NFL news out there. We'll have to wait and see. We have team activity starting to begin in the NFL. So we can see how these teams start to get everything ready for the longest football season ever. So that's going to be fun to keep an eye on. I'm going to make an announcement real quick. I want my I want the listeners to get involved. So, if you have any questions, you have anything you want to debate, if you have a cool stat that I don't know about, you think some, if you think one of my takes or reasonings or whatever just sound, doesn't sound right, you want to call me out on it, have a little debate on it. Here's how you can do that. Go to my Twitter at AnthonyUT12, and go to my page. There will be a link for a voice messaging thing for you can send me a message, whether it be a question, a random stat you want me to talk about, any questions you might have about a certain event or whatever. I'll try to get to those to you. I'll answer them on the podcast. I really want... To get a little more listener involvement on this podcast, and we think it'd be a really great idea if you guys got involved and asked a bunch of questions, call me out on something, you want to debate, it's whatever. I'm down. So yeah, go to my Twitter at AnthonyU212. There'll be a link in my bio for a voice messaging setup where you can send me messages or whatever you want to do. But yeah, until next time, I'm out.